Good evening, Shannon. Hi, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Awesome. Well, this, this time worked out. Here we are again. Yes, can you believe it? I know. And are, are you okay with the recording? Yep. Here's, here's what I do with that. And I think I might have told you this last time when we first met on Zoom. Um, my, my hope is just to have kind of a free flow conversation. I've got the three kind of areas of, I just want to get to know you a little bit more and I want other people to get to know you. That's why I want to be able to share this. Um, yeah. I want to hear about, um, I'm super curious about just young adult perspective and culture and, and what your experience and um, insights are to that within your South African context. Yeah. Um, re realizing that we're talking, uh, when we're talking about South Africa, we're talking about multiple different cultures, just like when we're talking about the United States and people say American culture, I like to say, which one, which yes. one are you talking about, right? It's very true. Yeah, so as well. Lots, there's lots there to explore. So I'm not making, I just want you to know that I'm trying to not, I'm working against my own assumptions of being like, what's South African culture like? I know yeah. that it's a lot of it's a lot of cultures, um, mm. and then plans for the future, things you're working on, things you're doing, things you're thinking about for the future. Of course, I want to talk about Shepherd and any questions that you have there. Um, yes. But does that all sound good? Are you are you? Um, yes. Yeah. It sounds good. I'm excited. I just want to get to know my friend Shannon a little bit more. At the end of the day, that's the goal. I was born in. Alberton City, I mean, Alberton Union Hospital um, in the south of Joburg in Gauteng um, to a very English family, uh, very, very English. And um, yeah, I was born in 1993. So just before South Africa became a democracy and um, it did it, I, I'm part of that generation that grew up in the democratic South Africa, but is still very affected by apartheid um it was the hot topic from grade four or fourth grade right until metric in history in life orientation in our subjects um and we were the, like the in afrikaans you call them the proofkunaina the um guinea pigs for the whole curriculum for the country to test is this working on us um so that's been my frame of reference as a South African. I grew, I was, I am the eldest daughter um, and the eldest child to my parents. My dad studied chartered accounting and at the same time completed his doctorate in theology um, and he's a Nazarene pastor. My mom worked in the bank for 18 years and did accounting and then went into private firms in accounting. And my brother followed in their footsteps and is now a accountant, a professional accountant. Um, that's the only other sibling I have. But we grew up in Joburg, um, spent weekends on a farm in Groblesdal because Groblesdal was a teaching, it was a preaching point of the Church of the Nazarene in Regent's Park. And so every second weekend, my dad being the youth pastor, he was sent there just to preach and help make sure the church got onto its feet and kicked off and like grew. Um, 
And the other weekends when we weren't there, the district would send preachers out. So that's 28, 29 years that my parents have been going to the farm and preaching there and working in Forestdale. And then in 2007, we got the full-time call to be the pastoral family in Groblersdal. And just by the name Groblersdal, you'll pick up, it is very Afrikaans. So here, this very, very English family that could barely say the alphabet in Afrikaans, let alone hold a conversation, were submerged fully in an Afrikaans community. I went to high school from English to Afrikaans, studied in high school in Afrikaans, um, I had Afrikaans as a second language, but like I said, I couldn't defend myself in it and just grew, um, ended up by the grace of God and hard work and parents and friends and support, ended up matriculating with pretty good results um, in Afrikaans as Afrikaans home language. So I had Afrikaans home language and English first additional language. Um, which put me at an advantage with the English, but yeah, the Afrikaans I had to work quite hard with, but it made me fully bilingual and mm. went on to Velocity, went back to the school I matriculated in, Wishkal Ben Fulun, and was the maths teacher there, maths assistant, for about five years, where I worked with the grade eights and nines, just making sure they understood the extra classes, they got a good average for their mathematics, um, taught maths literacy, uh, technical maths and normal maths at one point. So have been exposed to all the worlds of maths, but the Lord had laid a calling on my life when I was about 15 to go into teaching. And what I thought was just going to be maths, he changed in 2017 to ministry, um, to working with with youth and with young adults and helping them find their ministry, find their niche, find their place in within the church and to equip them and enable them to move on and become the leaders. Like I said, I grew up, I was, my dad was the youth pastor. So I was three years old in the youth. And since then I've been indoctrinated with, you are the leaders of tomorrow. And then one day I woke up and realized, well, tomorrow is not still going to be tomorrow. Tomorrow is starting today and I need to start stepping up. And I yeah. need to start putting those around me to step up because a generation of leaders of the church is reality speaking, dying out and who's going to take over. So in 2017, I then moved from Groblersdal to Van der Beel, which like I said, is about 300 kilometers away from my parents. And I started working full-time for the Nazarene church here and got involved in schools again. Um, I'm currently working for Newfound Generation, which is a NPO, a nonprofit organization. Um, and we go around and do counseling with kids, guidance counseling, spiritual counseling. Um, we present courses where we talk about emotional mastering. Um, we do the sex talk, we do bully talk, we do what are your values, what's your identity, what's your temperament. So we really delve in with the, the teens um, and also work with the teachers in the schools and the parents to understand 
the youth in front of them and also to help understand themselves. So one of my passions is the generations. I do, I study up in my free time on Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, Gen Z, um, alpha generation, how they tick, how they think, how they work, why they do what they do, what's the difference between growing up there and growing up here, what's the difference between suburban and farming and like, because that was my life. I went from Hyper City in Joburg to Platteland farming town that got its first robot traffic lights in 2010. Like we remember the day Hobbesdal got <laughs> its first traffic lights. <laughs> it was a big thing. Um, yeah. And, but growing up in the house that I did with my parents, theology and church and ministry has been our dinner table discussion all our life. So I've never had any formal training in theology, but I've also never backed down when discussing that. I've always been able to ground my opinions or my thoughts on the word. And then also to say, if I don't understand something, to go to great mentors and find out about it. Because you've got to be a fat leader, a faithful, approachable and teachable leader. Um, and that's, yeah, so I've been applying that. Currently, like I said, at NFG, I'm also a youth leader at the local church um, here in Fennabel. I work with the teens. I run a young adults Bible study and just connect and have fun with them. Um, I help with the multimedia. I love technology. Like this has, the last six months of my life has been overrun with online. Um, I was lucky enough and privileged enough to join forces with our biggest church in our district and do the Yachvies, the youth festival. I'm actually wearing their merch tonight. Just in, it's, um, and we were able, by the end of just four days, four nights, we went completely online and we were able to reach about 30,000 people. We don't know whether it's local or international, but we were able to reach 30,000 people and share God's gospel and his grace to them. We had different speakers and it was just so cool to see how technology enabled us to do that. We, like I said, fully online, something we haven't, GLS does it, Global Leadership Summit does it. And we just said, okay, well, show us how. And yeah, a bunch of 20 year olds, 20 somethings went and did that. It was quite, it was quite cool. God's really, just amazing how he uses us and forces us to just to do different things. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's me in a nutshell. I'm very gregarious. I'm always around people. Um, and I just love being with people and watching them fall in love with God. That's like mm. the best thing ever. Yeah, it is. Okay, I've got so many questions from things that you just shared. I wrote down some notes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, let me work backwards. One, did you? What did you say you're involved with tonight? Uh, yeah. The say. Sorry. Repeat your question. What did you said? You have something that you're doing tonight, and it seemed to have to do with one of the, the multimedia and the youth festival. Like, what what's going on? Oh. Tonight? I know. Tonight, I'm doing a Bible study with the young adults. Um, we work okay. through Revelation. Yeah. Revelation, the easiest book in the Bible. Awesome. <laughs> yeah yeah um what was the global leadership 
Global Leadership something, what was it called? Global Leadership Summit. So okay. Life Church, um, Bill Hybel started that, and then Craig Rochelle took it over. And South Africa has its own like points where we stream the um, the summit. And yeah. Rustenburg Agape Church of the Nazarene in Rustenburg, they host it. Um, and they also host the Yerkbiyas, which is our youth fest, a youth festival, where we say that get... again. Please say it again. The, the what? Youth Yerk. festival. Yerkbiyas. Yerkbiyas. Yeah. How do you spell the second word? F e e s. Yerk. It's all one word. Yeah. So it's all one word. Yerkbiyas. Yerkbiyas. Okay. Yes. So um, we partnered with GLS, or the, I think here they're known as GLN, the Global Leadership Network, and yeah. we used Big Marco to go online. Cool. Okay, more questions. One observation, <laughs> as you were sharing about your passion to learn about the different generations, X, Y, and Z, you said alphas. And I'm usually introducing the concept of the generation following Gen Z as, as the alphas to people. You're the first person I've been in a conversation with that initiated it and knew about it. And I want to know what you know about the alpha generation. So what I know about them is still very limited, but they're literally the generation that comes after the Zen jet. Now, the Zen, the generation Z is social media frenzied. But the alpha generation are the kids that are now putting their phones down because they're over it. That's all they know. So their something new is face-to-face. Jason Dorsey said he was a speaker at GLS a couple of years ago, I think 2019. And he said something is only new if you remember the old. So for millennials and Gen X and some Gen um, Z people or yeah, generations. Face-to-face contact is something they remember. Where alpha generation, they used to friends on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, all the social media platforms, TikTok. And when they get together and have these major bashes and it's like face-to-face, I can see you, I can put my phone down, then it's something new to them. So the mm. alpha generation or that generation where technology is so integrated in their life that the basic things that we are we take for granted because we're wanting to explore the new technology is for them what they want to go. So we're like digressing. History's repeating wow. itself. Give me that quote again from the speaker at, at GLN that's it was that something is only new if you remember what was old. Yes. Something is only new if you remember that which was old. I'm going to have to chew on that one a little bit because I get it. I think just in a flash, I'm grasping the concept of it. But it's so it's like it's like you 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 push back against the thing that everybody's telling you. You know, part of identity formation is just kind of resisting a little bit the, the ways that you've been raised and what's been normal for you and what's what's been the regular. 
And so you want to do something different. And so then all my friends, we're all going to dye our hair the same color because we're going to be different than everybody else except for our friends. Or we're going to pierce this part of our ear or our face or our body, or we're going to get these tattoos. You know, I'm, I've found that I'm, I'm unique in my generation and the generations that follow because I do not have a tattoo. And I, uh, I was in a tattoo parlor a few months ago because I was, I was dropping something off. I was doing some deliveries. And I told the guy there that I didn't have a tattoo. And he looked at me like I was from another planet. He was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I don't have one. I want to be different than everybody else. And so I'm not going to get one. And he's like, that, that, he, that, for him, that was the weirdest thing to think about. Yes. He sees, yeah. he sees me as a blank canvas on which to, you know, display art. <laughs> I guess. So alphas, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the ages of the alphas. Because Gen Z, because you know how they always slide back and forth with the dates of the different generations of when they begin and when they end. So what's your understanding of when the alphas kind of begin? What are the, the range? So I don't believe in the date thing because that's what Jason Dorsey taught us at GLS. It's not necessarily like a date because otherwise um, my one friend, he's in 97. He's then supposed to be a Gen Z. And my brother, who's 93, uh, 96, is a millennial. But if you, if you, instead of doing dates, you do it according to historical events, then it's easier to place the people according to the generation. For example, a Gen X, my parents' generation, they remember exactly where they were when Princess Di was killed. I and do too. Big. 1997. Because I'm your parents. How old are your parents? I'm probably your parents' age. How old are they? Can you tell my me? dad, yeah. My dad's 55. He was born in um, 96, 66. Sorry, 66. Yeah. 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 So your parents are about 10 years older than me, but we're still a part of the yeah. same generation. Um, yes. But I was 1997. I was in a summer ministry travel group for Northwest Nazarene College. And I can't remember what state we were in. I think it was Washington State. And I remember we were eating breakfast and the news came on and the Princess Diana had, had died. Yes. So I'm a Gen you fall under, You're a Gen Xer. Wait, I'm, I fall under the millennials because I was grade two. Oh no, I was grade three sitting in the computer class um, trying to figure out which font on Word to use when we got the news of 9-11. 9-11 is the millennials' historical events. And the alpha generation, they're going to remember, in South Africa especially, they're going to remember the first time President Ramaphosa called a family meeting for lockdown for corona, for COVID. So all these major events are what put us in our places. So, you, so you're um, placing COVID as one of the major defining events for Gen Z? For alpha generation. For Alpha, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Gen Z would be, what did you say Gen Z was? Well, the millennials are 9-11. So Gen Z, uh, it's difficult because it, there it's culturally. Um, Gen Z in South Africa is going to be 2010 World Cup because that changed the way we thought. That changed the way South Africans perceived the world. So that, this is an important point, and I've often wondered about this, and I talk with my different friends 
on on different continents about this. Uh, do these generational um, definitions apply uh, within different cultures? Um, was there a point where they didn't used to, but then they began to as the world became more globalized and there was more overlap happening between different countries and cultures? Um, you know, does does someone does someone that that lives in a village with a smartphone um, and they're uh, you know twenty two years old right now? Are they a part of a specific cultural generation? Yes. Are they a part of a global generation that they'd also fit into? And is that different than their parents? Because I've often wondered if some of these general definitions of generations are more of kind of a, um, a Western, well, I'll say this, and for my, just for my, this is me, a white Western cultural um, construct to try to understand. Or does it transcend ethnicity, nationality, culture, and we fit into these different um, categories and segments defined by historical um, events? What, what do you think? I think it's, it's a difficult one to put into a box because it, is, it has to do with exposure. Globally, the world is on a technology level. And it's, there are places that are under it, that fall under the par, and there are places that exceed it. For example, South Africa, um, we've got technology and we're exposed to it, but Wi-Fi is not free everywhere. So we have to plan. We have to make do with all of a sudden a lack of, of um, electricity because we have the wonderful ESCOM that you pay for your electricity and then they just don't give it to you. It's reality here by us. So our challenges are different um, mm. and our ways of problem solving. I think a lot of generations, you're, you're um, defined by how you solve problems, you're defined by how you were raised, and you're defined by your reaction to certain events. So for a South African, we are used to, okay, the power's off, let's go outside, let's braai, let's, we can make a plan. We used to the power being off. I don't know what it's like if you're not, if you don't understand load shedding to experience load shedding. Where, where my dad. Okay, right. pause, the- pause there. I was, you had me at braai. I know that braai for anybody else would be like, you know, cookout or barbecue or, you know, yeah. if you're Australian, you're going to, you know, throw some snags on the barbie or whatever. But load shedding, talk to me about that one. I, I'm not familiar with this term. I have a guess, but I need your definition. Okay, so load shedding is the program rollouts um, from ESCOM, our, our electricity provider, that they literally tell you for the next two and a half hours, you will not have electricity. And then they turn off the electricity for your town. So like scheduled blackouts. <laughs> load shedding okay all right i'm back on track i just that was that was a big one there that i was working with in my head and i just had to ask (laughs) so 
for me, I am like, this was a perfect example. I understand load shedding. I understand that when load shedding happens, we've got to have candles. We've got to have gas. That's why a lot of us, a lot of South African houses are now going to gas stoves because we cannot, load shedding is not going to just disappear with us. So we've learned to, to make do with our resources or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, and the villages, and we were discussing this now, I had a regional meeting with the, no, it was a field meeting with the Southern Field Youth Council. And we were having um, discussions on how during COVID, during lockdown, do you communicate with teenagers where we've got WhatsApp and we can make Zoom calls in certain areas where there's villages that their people, their youth run on WhatsApp bundles. So you can literally just send text messages and that's it. And how do we integrate? How do we support one another without coming and changing that? Because like you said, this is a Western concept. Um, the Western district or Gauteng district um, is so, we're a level three district in the Church of the Nazarene. So we are very densely populated and have many churches within us, but each one faces such great difficulty. We've got townships and we've got, cities we've got a lot of infrastructure a lot of cultural differences we've got 11 languages that we've got to try and cross communicate with just within south africa and so as a generation coming back to that question the generation our reaction is this is the problem how are we going to solve it and then each one takes it individually further. Okay, but how is that applicable to me? And I think Simon Sinek touched on it um, the best with his start with your why. Where he says each a millennial, he spoke majority with majority to millennials, is if you understand the why, the concept that tickles your heart, and you speak that to a millennial, then you're going to get their buy and their creativity and they're going to initiate it themselves. Each generation has a why. Their jargon is different. It might not be for a millennial. A millennial is what is it? What impact can I make? For a um, Gen X, it's how can I contribute to, how can I commit to a change? Because they're wanting to bring change from the baby boomers. Um, your Gen, yeah, your Gen, what, your Gen Z, they're looking at what influence is it going to be. So these, these trigger words that comes from the technology boom. And if we look at history, I love history. <laughs> if we look at history, like the Industrial Revolution, the um, Farming Revolution, the French Revolution, all the different revolutions that occurred, the, the revolution, the church revolution, when the Catholic Church and the, the Crusades happened, how that globally challenged everyone and made them rethink things. The mm. technology revolution has occurred. We've got you. I, I know, what's the guy? The guy who did Alpha, um, Nikki Grumble. He said in one, his Alpha teens, "You're only as you're only as ignorant as your Wi-Fi speed, as your internet connection, because you've got the answers on your phone." So. The alpha generation, the, the Gen Z, and the millennials that have split, we, 
don't go necessarily and ask people about things. We just Google for the experts. You can teach yourself. You don't yourself. have to pick up an encyclopedia. We Google. Yeah. So, okay, let me, let me tell you here. Let, um, let me ask you about a concept um, along this thought line here that I've read about and I've thought about a little bit and I don't know where I land on it, but it's, it's the idea that, that um, current youth and young adult generations don't need people to transfer knowledge to them. They have endless amounts of knowledge at their fingertips through, through their, through technology, through their phones specifically. Um, but the application of the knowledge um, that's where a teacher, a mentor, a role model, someone to journey with that's older, like whatever, you know, discipling, that's where these things become important because um, information does not, knowing something doesn't mean you know what to do with it. Mm. And, yeah. and, and knowledge um, doesn't necessarily come with wisdom or experience you can know things but not know what to do with it yes what do you think about that am i am i being unfair am i being old and outdated like what are your thoughts uh, and, and, well, and I, I will i will just I'll, I'll i'll um i'll also qualify it with this just to just to um because uh, i'm not trying to be mean i'm not trying to be disparaging towards anybody it's just something i've read it's something i've also noticed i've noticed it with my own kids um, but I learn from people younger than me. I learn about what they're learning from people younger than me. But I also know that I only have a capacity for so much. People specialize in their education about certain things because you go to a hospital and you have specialties in all these different areas. If someone's not a brain surgeon, you don't want them working on your brain. So if you know everything about Pokemon and you know everything about Star Wars and you start talking to each other, one of you knows more. There's, you know, there's... Um, you might be the, this is something I've heard said in the academic, um, inst, you know, uh, college institutional level that um, you might be the smartest person in the room on your subject, but there's lots of other people in the room that are, that are smarter on a lot of other things than you. So yes. you might be specialized. And I've noticed that younger generations, while they have endless amounts of information available to them, so do I. We only cho we we choose what we consume to learn, or we choose what we learn, and then mm. and then consume that. And it's easy just to stay in that niche, and mm. not branch out to other knowledge bases, even though it's available. I threw a lot of things in here. Let me back up to what do you think about that idea of just because you have knowledge, it doesn't mean you have wisdom or the experience to go with it. Fair, unfair thoughts. I think personally it's fair and you said that you thought it might be backwards and older view. Well, I'm going to throw it even further backwards and older because John Maxwell, um, a leader on leadership, he said people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. There you go. So it is that and it touches in on what we limit ourselves to in learning is you want to be appreciated for the knowledge, for your time and effort, for your interests. So you're not going to go and learn about, I'm not going to go and learn about Pokemon because I don't want to know anything about Pokemon, but give me Lord of the Rings, give me All day. a book and I'm there. I, yeah. 
will marathon this with you. I will go to extreme to learn about why Tolkien wrote Elvish, why he started um, in Oxford in physics and then transferred to language, mm. things like that. So it's a thing of your interest and where you feel appreciated. Yeah, okay. So there's something to that. I'm not just an old curmudgeon. No. <laughs> okay. Um, let me look back at my notes here. You're so knowledgeable. And like, obviously, <laughs> like, like, but not like just know things. Like you're living into it. The generations before you, the generation that you're part of, the generation that's coming, like you're invested in this and have working experiential knowledge of these things. And so this is, I, selfishly, Shannon, um, this is one of the reasons that I enjoy talking with young adults is because it's in conversations like this where I'm being reverse mentored, okay? Wow. thank you. And, and I've, I've learned that from my mentors because I've asked them, you know, they're in their 60s, 70s, like, okay, so, so now that you're at this age, who are your mentors? And they say mm -hmm. things like, well, they're, they're gone. They're, they are no longer among us. The things that mm -hmm. they have taught me are the things that they have shared and invested in my life. But you get to, and one of my mentors actually said this to me, you get to a place in your, if, if you have the gift and blessing of, of living um, a longer life, you get to a place where all those people that had invested into them that were older, they're gone. They're passed away. Now, that's when he said, that's why it's so important for me to have friendships and relationships with younger leaders, because um, while sometimes they may think that I'm investing in them, um, mm. they are mutually investing back into me and reverse mentoring me to help me to be the leader that I need to be as I continue. Yes. And that has had a, that's had a huge impact on my life. And I, I found that I'm, I'm usually at the, the, the nexus of the best growth in my journey, when I'm being mentored, when I'm journeying with peers, and when I'm investing mm. into people that are, that are younger than me, but mm. I'm learning at each one of those levels and also realizing that I'm contributing as well. It's a give and take. It's not a one-way street. Yes. So I don't know if you realize that you signed up for a mentoring session today of a 44-year-old, but now it's too late and I have this recorded. And um, that's just the way it's going to be. That's fine with me. I'm learning as well, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, let, me, let me run an idea by you. Just processing, no formal planning or anything. I can't remember if I talked about this the first time that we um, chatted. But I'm, I'm kicking around this idea of pulling together some young adults that I've been getting to know over the years from, mm -hmm. from different countries. So I'm getting to know Shannon, South Africa. Um, I'm thinking about Danny Castlehow that's originally from Perth, Australia, but she lives in Southern Mexico and she teaches English um, wow. engaged to a wonderful Mexican man there. They will be married sometime in the next year, I think. Um, I'm thinking about Chang Po Chang that is living in Brizzy, in Brisbane, near the Gold Coast, who's Samoan, but had a Chinese grandfather. So his name is Chang Po Chang. 
Um, okay. Also was on Australian Idol quarterfinalist. Oh, yes. You mentioned him. I asked you for Yerkes, guys, and you mentioned him. Did I send you the link to him? Did you? Yes. I saw it. It was awesome. <sighs> yeah, he's great. Um, and then there's a few folks. There's a few, you know, there's there's a couple in Canada. There's a couple in the U.S. I'm wanting to, like, maybe invite people to, like, a, a Zoom, like, a global young adult Zoom meetup with just some friends that I have. And, and introduce you to each other and see what, and like have a topic to like kick it off, but like just start with a smaller group of people and see like, okay, if there's somebody else that, that you know, you want to invite to this conversation, like just start talking to them. And when we do it again, just share the link and, and bring them in and we'll just kind of have a topic and then get some different global perspectives on it. Would that be something that you might be interested in? Please, 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 please. Yeah. Love that. I mean, we'll have to pray about this next part, but maybe we even invite Lasejo. I don't know. Yeah, we have to. We have Please. to pray about it. Is that what you mean? We have to pray about it first? Yeah, no, definitely. He's a South African. He's a fellow South African. You don't want too many of us in the same um, Zoom. <laughs> but if you're on separate continents while we're having the conversation, then we should be, we should be good. He He reminded me of of uh the term uh bialaka so when you said that in your in your facebook message to me i knew exactly what you meant it's an interesting term though because i mean if you look it up it means very delicious when you look i mean google translate that's what it translates to but in the context of slang and saying mm-hmm. saying uh bialaka how do you how do you say it right how do you say it Shannon? yo uh yo lacquer you gotta roll that r at the end of lacquer yeah um, but i also want to give you a warning please don't google translate too much because as a teacher <laughs> i've i've checked what google translate throws out into afrikaans and vice versa and i've canned myself it's really funny like yeah you've they don't have... <laughs> yeah that's hilarious yeah well you know you got it you got to be careful with that you can't just you can't just take it off the cuff and be like oh i'll pop this into a into a you know yeah, a no. post or whatever. Sometimes I'll try it with friends just to see. I might have done that with you just a little bit. I can't remember. Sometimes I do it with Spanish speaking friends, um, and they usually have a good laugh at me. <laughs> oh well, I've done it. I've made like I said so many faux pas with Afrikaans when I was first being inducted into the language and into the culture. That uh, flashbacks, traumatic flashbacks. Well, I was, you know, it's very different and you're, you are South African and, and very English, as you said, but, you know, as a little kid at, at eight years old, I remember going into an offer, a fully Afrikaans setting and immersed in it. And, you know, looking back with all the, with all the just, um, presumptions and assumptions and everything of we're going to be missionaries from the United States and we're going to South Africa and everything I knew about Africa meant black people but then we get to Africa and we don't go live among black people and in a village or in a homeland right away Um, but then when we do we go to live in an Afrikaans mining community and so I was immersed in the Afrikaans cultural context 
but within the greater homeland of of around i was just i was talking to my parents the other day i was just in indianapolis last week for my first trip back since i've been working with them and i was staying at my parents house um up north in indiana and they were reminding me that when we were there the village the the chief of the village was actually killed by people in the village and my dad said do you remember when they were when they were throwing rocks and everything at the gates that one morning when there was the uprising in the village and i was like kind of you know and i think i shared this about about this with you before yeah um but i was i was it was bringing me back to memories being immersed as a child in Afrikaans culture and thinking about how for you, even as a, as a English or how did you say it? English, South African, South African, you're South African that's English. Yeah. How do you say it? English, South African, yeah. Yeah, English, South African. That for you, that was a cross-cultural experience being immersed into an Afrikaans context. Yeah, very different. Something small that happened, um, my best friend, Karin, she fought with me the one day because in English, you say, hey, mom, will you please? In Afrikaans, I'm going to translate this. In Afrikaans, you'd say, um, hey, mom, would mom please? You never say you. You never use a pronoun for your mm. parents because of respect. And that was just something small that, I mean, the English language doesn't allow for too many proper nouns to be used in one sentence. And yet in Afrikaans, if you if you use a, pro, a pronoun instead of your mom's name as mom, her title, then you're considered rude. <laughs> and, uh. Uh, yeah, something as small as that. Um, so I, I had to explain to my friends that I'm not disrespecting my mother. I am allowed to say, hey, mom, will you please? Um, she will not take my head off. <laughs> it is still, and that, that was a big thing. Um, but a tip for anyone coming to South Africa, you've got to know which rugby, rugby team you support. You've got to know that you eat your meat medium rare, and you've got to have biltong, <laughs> and then you're fine. Okay. Biltong. Did I talk to you about biltong last time? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, was, I got such a craving for biltong just yesterday. I was standing. I don't know what, I don't know what set it off, but I could taste it. I could smell it i could see it i could taste it and the closest that i can get to it here is i i can um as far as i know anyway i can order it on amazon and they'll deliver biltong to my house so sometimes as a a gift like for a birthday or whatever my wife will get this for me um yeah south african biltong or at least at least biltong meat that's been prepared you know that it's cured it's different than jerky I think that's the close, yeah. closest equivalent for a lot of folks that, that may, you know, think about what is it? Well, it's a dehydrated meat, but it's cured. It's not, it's not just dehydrated and there's flavors with it. It's so delicious. My favorite, and I haven't had it since I was a child, but it was, I don't even know if this is, I don't, I, hopefully I'm not saying something that's like no longer kosher or legal. Um, but I remember in the stores, they used to have kudu biltong. Can you yeah, still get kudu. like wild game biltong? Yeah. Given the choice, you always go for the game biltong rather than just beef. Oh yeah. Every, every time. Every time. When when we lived in Brisbane, I found a South African butcher. 
and oh. he couldn't import meat from South Africa to do game, but he prepared it properly. And so I would get like a kilo of biltong and it was just, it was moist and like greasy and just, mm. I would just keep it. I would just keep it in a special place and just snack on it, you know? And then uh, Bundaberg ginger beer from Australia. So if I can have South African biltong and Bundaberg ginger beer, I'm a very, very happy guy. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. There's no vegetables in there. There's nothing green. Um, no, nope. I might be able to live on it for a short period of time. Probably yes. <laughs> South Africans yeah, do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. Um, so we're just at we're just at an hour, Shannon. I'm not going to keep you any longer into your evening. Okay. Uh, I think we we um, I'd like to keep the conversation going mm. and checking out. Yeah, I will just I'll just end with just saying. Um, I'm excited about potential conversations with, with you and Shepard in Indianapolis. Yes. Are you still thinking that way, feeling that way? Like, break it to me easy if you're not. But if you are, like, let's keep talking about it. Yo, I am. Um, I'm still praying about it. I, yeah, it's, it's caused some very interesting conversations in this side because of it. But I'm still excited. Um, so definitely, yeah, I am. Well, regardless of whatever the outcome of that is, however the Lord leads, um, mm. let's. I want to keep talking, and I want to yes. connect up young adults that are having and thinking and processing and contributing and um, and that are about the kingdom of God. I think you know what I'm going to call when I post this up as a podcast. I'll send you the link. I'm going to call this episode um, "Tomorrow Starts Today." That sounds brilliant. Well, you said it. Yo. You yeah. said it. Yeah. Thanks. Well, and I, I just appreciated where that where that came from. And it's it's the truth. If we operate operate like tomorrow is always going to be happening tomorrow, then we're not doing what we can with the gift that God has given us for today. Yes. And we need all the generations living in the present to be joining God in his kingdom mission and work of new creation and not just pretending like we're supposed to maintain the things that we've always done and then pass it on to other people to do it exactly like us otherwise we get upset and frustrated and grumpy that's the truth of mm. well um any ending thoughts perspectives ideas that are floating out there but you're like okay i got it now and i want to just say this one more thing before we go well, this is just, like you said, it's, um, you've always got to be open to learning. So even just discussing and rethinking about my life story and looking at all the different mentors, some of them I've never met George, Do um, Jason Dorsey, I've never met Craig Rochelle, I've never met Bill Hybels, I've never met John Maxwell, and yet they've made such an impact in my life. It's, you've always got to be open to teaching. There's always an opportunity to learn. And it's what you make of it and how you process that information, how you process that opportunity that alters your path and allows relationships to build or you're just a flyby, you're just a hit and run. Um, so if you're wanting to make a lasting impact, be open, be, be fat, be faithful, approachable and teachable. I love it. Thank you for sharing that thought. I, that, I resonate with that, Shannon. Mm -hmm.
Thank you. Thanks for um, hanging out with me on your evening and my morning, but our day in the Lord together. Thank you.